we have a lot coming up. Rory O'Neill, MC News Radio, national correspondent on deck. Maggie Pritchard, one of our great partners in the mental health community side of things, Lakes Region Mental Health Center, will be joining us. And then Phil Taub uh, is going to be in, and always love it when he comes in. We we'll talk a little bit. We'll make him wear his political hat first for some analysis, and then um, talk a little bit about the primary. Nineteen days to go before the first actual votes in the race in the road for the White House. Get his thoughts. Is it tightening or not? Governor's race. And then uh, we're going to have some fun talking about uh, Rick Kaiser, good friend of Phil's in New Hampshire's on the Navy SEALs side, his latest book, Frogman Stories, Life and Leadership Lessons from the SEAL Teams. Frogman Stories, Rick Kaiser. Phil brought in a few copies, one for you, J-Dog, as well. Looking at it right now. So yeah, Thank you again, by the way. In fact, before we kick into this stuff, let's bring on Phil for a moment because we have a moment or two before Rory joins us in the latest NBC News Radio national correspondent. Good morning, Phil. Tob, how are you? Good morning, Jack. Great to be here with you and J-Dog. It's, uh, it, there's no snow today, but I hear it is coming, Jack. It's a yes, big story. in droves. Um, now, it's T-A-U-B if you're going to write in Phil's name with Joe Biden <laughs> on the Democrat ballot. Phil, I've seen these signs. Have you seen it? Write in Joe Biden. There's a lot of excitement there, isn't there, on the Democrat side for Biden? Very, very exciting, right? Have you seen the signs? Yes. Yeah. It's... I haven't seen a lot of them, but I've seen them. Do you think that's going to be successful for the powers to be behind Biden who's not even on the ballot here in 19 days? I Actually, I do think it's going to be successful. I think people on uh, Democrats are going to write in his name, right? I mean... I mean, people forget how many how many folks there are on the on the list. You you think it's just maybe a few people, right? Uh, I haven't seen the exact final numbers, but my impression is it's like dozens of people are on the ballot for president. And uh, you know who are they going to vote for? They're not going to check off some random person they haven't heard from. So I do think they're going to write in Biden's name. Hey, I'm looking at some of the pictures in this great book you brought, Frogman Stories. Your good friend Rick Kaiser. SEAL Team 6 Chief. We're going to talk later about this, but uh, a book a book by Rick. Wow, there's great pictures in here from Mogadu, you know, from the Middle East to uh, to winter exercises to the life of the SEALs. So exciting. I can't wait to talk about it with you some more, Jack. It is an incredible book. Rick's had a, a very storied career, and like most SEALs that served, he served 33 years, mostly on SEAL Team 6. Unbelievable. Never talked about it. Uh, you know, hasn't told us anything, but here's a whole book of stories. Unbelievable. Rory O'Neill, come back with Phil, NBC News Radio National Correspondent. Good Thursday morning, Rory. Good morning, Jack. Hey, I'm sorry, but I'm in one of those moods. We're having a little bit of snow here in New England January Uh-oh. in January this weekend, and the national news is making it sound like it's the end of the world. I know you're not getting much snow this weekend in Florida. The other <laughs> story I had to chuckle on this morning was one of my regular listeners sent in this thing from the, I think it was the CDC, the latest variant of covid some of the symptoms people are reporting are anxiety and sleeplessness. Don't we already uh, have that, regardless of COVID? <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous if you do get a good night's sleep. Yeah, no, but we are seeing an increase in, in what they called, you're going to love it, the triple-demic, uh, RSV, COVID, and the flu. Look, these numbers were going up pretty sharply before the holidays, and the latest CDC numbers look like they're going to really take a spike because of all the Christmas travel, the, the Christmas parties, New Year's parties. It happens this year all the time. I get it. But it's just a reminder. Be more vigilant about washing your hands, using sanitizers. Don't touch your eyes, your nose, your mouth. Uh, mask up. And if you're sick, for God's sake, stay home because we are starting to see these spread and increased hospitalizations across the board. Well, somehow we will get by. Thank you, Rory. Rory O'Neill. <laughs> all right. Thank you. NBC News Radio National Cross 1. 
Hey, uh, we couldn't get you on yesterday. She was busy with Maggie Pritchard with Lakes Region Community Health Center, uh, one of our great partners out there. And, of course, we have our big town hall on January 17th, Wednesday morning, Capital Center for the Arts in Concord. It's our second one. Phil was helpful in our first one on veterans issues. But this one is at the Bank of New Hampshire stage, Wednesday morning before the presidential primary, the state of mental health and addiction right here. And we're going to have great folks from NAMI, uh, Granite Recovery Center, some of our partners like Maggie, and you're welcome, Maggie. I'd love to get you up there for a segment or two, get some of your people there. Also, uh, seating is free, Bank of New Hampshire stage, 9 to noon, and uh, folks from the DEA are coming in from Washington to talk about synthetic fentanyl. It's going to be an important three hours. Good morning, Maggie. Good morning, Jack, and yes, we're very excited to be able to participate, I believe, with Cornell, one of our more seasoned people, as we say, who's been in the business as long as I probably, at least 40 years, so um, he'll be uh, there and available to you. I was really hoping I could have gone on yesterday because we had important legislation going forward. Senate Bill 411 called for um, commercial insurance carriers to cover emergency mental health services for young people, the same as Medicaid does, so that we could keep the kids out of the emergency room waiting for a bed at a hospital that doesn't have a bed, right? And so um, right now, commercial insurers don't have to pay for emergency care for kids that would be given in their home like Medicaid does or at their school or wherever the crisis is happening, we can respond to them with mobile crisis. We can respond to them with a therapist on site, um, but insurance companies don't have to recognize or pay for those services, the commercial ones. But unfortunately, even with Senator Tom, former Senator Tom Sherman testifying, and we did this bill probably three years ago, it was Senate Bill 70, um, uh, it didn't go anywhere yesterday. They've asked us to table it for now and bring it up again in March because we have a new insurance commissioner. And granted, you know, DJ's got a lot in front of him, and he says, I can bring the parties together, and I can get everybody to agree to this. We don't have to legislate it. Unfortunately, I'm Irish, and I'm a little cynical, and I think maybe that didn't happen last time three years ago. So why is it going to happen this time? I don't know. Maybe there'll be a miracle. I was really sad that I couldn't get on yesterday and talk a little bit more about this important legislation. You don't sound too happy about that. Yeah, no. (laughs) No. You know, it's just like running into a brick wall sometimes. You you try, you try again, and you think, okay, everybody's going to understand. We don't want children in the emergency room not getting treated, just sitting there waiting for a bed in a hospital and when that's, we might have been able to prevent that crisis. And it's still and happening, right? I'm still, oh, ha- yeah. I'm still hearing the people of all ages, if they have a mental health uh, situation, episode, Are, um, yeah. whether it's family members themselves or, you know, a police officer, they, they'll take them to an emergency room in one of our hospitals. They're not equipped to even deal with it, and they just will stay there under observation for hours or days. Yep, absolutely. And so I think that it's a little short-sighted on our part not to legislate it because, you know, what's the motivation for commercial insurers to do this? I mean, it's the right thing to do, don't get me wrong, and maybe some of them will step up to the plate. I think Anthem stepped up a little bit. But, you know, everybody should want to cover children in a mental health crisis so that they don't end up in the emergency room. It's just a simple fact. You just have to pay for the service so the kids can get it, and the parents can have them at home and not have to put them in a hospital. Well, let's talk about it on Wednesday, January 17th. We will. 
I'd like. I, can you be there? I, I, it's either going to be me or it's going to be one of my people because right. I know I have people. That's a funny thing to say. But we usually have a meeting with the state that day. It's the third Wednesday of the month. Right. If you could have picked any other day, I would have well, been there. Hey, so. we've got the things like the presidential primary the week after. We're kind of tied up here. Right. I mean, that's that's when are. the Capitol Center could have us. Thank you, uh, Maggie. We'll catch you real soon. Good morning, Hampshire. All right. Thanks, Jack. Bye-bye. Phil Taub in our studios. We're going to come back to this great book. I'm looking at these pictures. Unbelievable. I already sent a note to... Uh, your buddy Rick, and he's amazingly already responding whimsically, Phil. I said something that you said that that one of his buddies said, but what a book. Let's talk about the primary. Phil Todd wearing a political analyst hat, one of our all-stars political analysts. By the way, we're going to be broadcasting Tuesday, January 23rd. A lot of the national media is going to be around already asking where we're going to be. We're going to be at St. Anselm College Institute of Politics. Hopefully Phil will be one of our analysts there with our team of all-stars as the election results start to come in not far from where he lives in Bedford, but St. Amson College in Manchester, the West Wing. Phil, 19 days to go before the first votes. A lot's happening in Iowa. But what's happening here? What are you seeing on the Republican side in the primary? Well, thanks, Jack. Clearly, uh, you know, the momentum is really just with two candidates, right? Donald Trump, former former sitting president, and, uh, you know, a former governor from South Carolina. You might have heard of her, Jack, Nikki Haley. Uh, she clearly has all the momentum. Is but there anything I, we're missing there, by the way? Is there any other candidate who might do a little better here than, than Haley surging? Is there someone we're missing between DeSantis, Christie, and Ramaswamy or anyone else? Or is it really, do you think, a two-person race at this point? I Look, I think the one to watch is still Governor DeSantis because he has this amazing track record from Florida, and that resonates with a lot of Republican voters for sure. So I wouldn't totally count out Governor DeSantis at this point. I think Vivek might have peaked at this point. You're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, Governor Sununu and others trying to get, you know, Chris Christie to to step out because they're hoping that Chris Christie's voters will go, you know, naturally with Nikki Haley. I'm not sure it's as clear as that, but she could use another four or five, you know, points here and get a little closer to Trump. But I, interesting enough, I saw some reporting this morning, you know, Governor Sununu talking about Nikki Haley's a solid second. That's not the same as saying that she's going to win. And and I do think that's kind of the way it's going to go, Jack, as I sort of look at this. It does feel like Trump's going to win pretty big in Iowa. DeSantis or Nikki Haley in second. They come to New Hampshire. Nikki Haley's a solid second behind Trump. They go to South Carolina. And then what happens, Jack? You know, does she lose to Trump? She, I think right now she is losing to Trump in South Carolina. And then can she survive that? They go I into think people can vote in that one, like here. I think independent. I don't think it's a closed, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And then go to Super Tuesday, right, where DeSantis is probably going to lose to Trump in Florida. And uh, if Nikki Haley doesn't do that well, is it over? Is that it? Super Tuesday? I, I It kind of looks that way to me from where I'm sitting that, you know, Trump's pretty much got it by Super Tuesday. Well, let's go back, though, just to 19 days to go here. I personally have witnessed over the years that what happens in Iowa stays in Iowa. It just doesn't right. transfer. It might be a good headline. Some candidates hope it transfers, but the primary is different here. And I'm just getting a sense, and Phil, it's nothing more than a hypothesis. Stan, feel free to correct me. It feels that Democrats are not energized or excited. I don't think this write-in effort has got people pumped here if you're a Democrat voter. I don't think you're even digging your own president because the Democrat support of Biden is terrible. Dean uh, Congressman Phillips is trying, Marianne Williamson. But it just seems the energy is on the independent, moderate, and Republican side. And the question is, Governor Sununu's all in. Uh, Bill Binney, chairman of Binney Media's, you know, other people are endorsing 
uh, Nikki Haley jumping in. I don't know if endorsements matter, but Sununu's out working the ads. He's going to Iowa to campaign for Nikki Haley. He's really pushing here. 19 days to go. Will independents vote in the Republican primary, presidential primary, in a significant number or not? Because really that's the key or the path of vi- uh, the, the, the path to victory for Nikki Haley or anyone else. Yeah. I, look, I, I don't know for sure, but anecdotally, I am hearing from a lot of people, just people that I talk to out all over New Hampshire and different places th- who are independents and, and maybe even leaning a little bit more to the Democratic side, right? Maybe there are Democrats and they're registered as independents, which is a great tradition on both sides in New Hampshire. They, my sense is they are going to play in in the Republican side for sure. And we'll see. I, one thing that was surprising to me, though, Jack, is less than 4,000 Democrats changed their affiliation from Democrat to independent. I would have thought a lot more Democrats would have, got, would have gone independent so that they could vote in this. But if you, really, like, if you really want Biden to win and you decide to vote on the Republican side, who are you voting for? Mm-hmm. Are you voting for Trump or Nikki Haley? I think you're probably voting for Trump. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Now, if, hypothetically, Hypothetically, Phil Todd, before we take a break, if Nikki Haley were to pull off an upset here Tuesday, January 23rd, that evening, if the votes are counted and she edges Trump here, I'm not saying it's going to happen. How big of a story is that coming out of New Hampshire? I think that's a huge story. I mean, that that is a huge story. The quote, the real question is what happens in South Carolina? Does that give her enough momentum? You would think it would. Because if she does that, if she wins in New Hampshire and she wins in South Carolina, she does have all the momentum. I think that is a game changer. So we'll have to see what happens. But coming second in New Hampshire and coming second in South Carolina, I don't think it's going to do it. Let's stay on Iowa for a moment, Phil, before we take a break. Ron DeSantis arguably is putting more of his strategic, financial, and physical investment in Iowa, not New Hampshire. Chris Christie's more in New Hampshire. Ramaswamy may be both. Trump is both. Haley's both. But DeSantis is definitely banking on Iowa. Does he need to win the caucuses? Does he need to come out with a win or a close second or not? I don't think he has to win. I think winning would be great. That would be a huge story if he won in Iowa. It's probably not going to get him to your points, probably not going to get him into the top two here in New Hampshire. But if he wins in Iowa, he's in the top three here, top three in South Carolina, and then he does really well in Super Tuesday, That it could just be him and Trump after that. And then Nikki Haley is gone. So... But on the other hand, I'm, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's done after Super Tuesday. And does anyone of significance, if they don't get the results they want in Iowa, pull out before New Hampshire on January 23rd or not? Hard, it's hard to tell. I wonder if Vivek is done you know, before he comes to New Hampshire. I sort of feel like if you came this far, you know, each of these candidates put the work in and put the time in, you, you, know, you at least want to stick out Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, and and probably South Carolina as well, right? You put all the time, you got all these people. You, it just at this point, if you haven't dropped out, I feel like you kind of just stick with it and see what happens. Which is not good for Nikki Haley, obviously, in trying to beat Trump. Mm. All right, hold the thought. I'm going to take a quick break. More of Phil Tobb with uh, talk a little bit on the governor's race, some of the other races that are not, and a new mayor in Manchester. Right? Didn't make a lot of news after the holidays. Is there? Yeah, I was there at the inauguration. It was a very exciting day. Jay Ruway, back on Good Morning Hampshire, the Pulse of an H, in a moment. Phil Taub, and of course, Phil uh, for Nixon Peabody wears his uh, mergers and acquisition hat one, one of the days, his swim of the mission hat other days, but today we're talking politics. And Phil, you and I were just talking during the break before we talk about the 
new mayor of Manchester, Republican, um, and uh, the governor's race, which will probably start in earnest late winter, early spring in terms of more public attention. But you made a great point. Um, last time around, there were a bunch of Democrats running. There were, what, 18 of them, J-Doc, 16 in 2020, uh, you know, B- Buttigieg, Bernie, Klobuchar. I mean, I can just go on and on and on, Biden. But there were a ton of ads for a bunch of candidates. And then when this Republican primary started here, there was, what, a very crowded field, right? Very crowded. Now, you only seem to hear noise from Trump, Haley, and Christie in New Hampshire right now. Would you agree with that? I agree with that, yeah. Absolutely, Jack. I mean, I think that's very telling, isn't it? It's really just three candidates that are spending the money and and putting the time and effort in on radio, television, print media. It it does feel very different than the last two times we had primaries for for the presidential race. And so I, I just think it's just another data point for us to look at to try to understand, you know, where things are at, where campaigns sort of believe. You know, they say one thing, but they do another it's really a two-person race at this point, Trump and Haley. Mm. And again, 19 days. Things things feel like they're tightening. I imagine we're going to get some polls, what, whatever they can tell us. Probably in seven or ten days we'll get a bunch again, it feels like. Yeah, I, I think so. But but look, at the end of the day, this narrative uh, for Trump that Democrats don't fight fair, Democrats have to you know weaponize the FBI, they have to use the court system to their advantage, Right. Local officials are getting involved like in Maine and taking them off the ballot. No matter what people's politics are, I don't think anybody really in America wants to have, you know, our our officials elected through the court system and anywhere other than us casting ballots. And so folks that maybe are not really huge Trump fans are really upset about this, Jack. And so another week, you know, every time the stuff's in the headlines, Trump, I think today appealed the decision in Colorado to be on the ballot there. I assume the Supreme Court's going to side with Trump on this, but that's the news. And every time that's in the news, Trump's numbers just get better. Yeah, I think it's, you know what? Well, you know what? There's probably no middle ground here. The surprise in New Hampshire on the Republican side may end up being, ironically, not a big surprise. But if Trump wins by double digits, then he, there's no stopping him, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I agree but, with that. But if it's if it's a Haley upset or a photo finish of two or three points, I guess that would be a surprise. Let's switch gears. Well, first of all, you said you went to the mayor of Manchester. He's going to be on the show, J-Dog, Monday morning, J-Ruway at 910. But new mayor in Manchester, um, state's largest city, Republican, kind of happened over the holidays. Maybe a lot of people not paying attention, but significant? Yeah, it's huge. It really is. And, uh, you know, I live in Bedford. I work in Manchester. You know, it is it is our largest city. And, and sometimes, you know, as Manchester goes, so New Hampshire goes. <clears throat> And unfortunately, relationships between Manchester and the State House and the governor's office has not been good. Uh, you know, while Joyce Kelly was in, uh, excuse me, Joyce Craig was in there. You know, and there's probably plenty of blame to go around there. But so much excitement now with a Republican governor, young, strong, dynamic. He's a great listener, and and I and you know he's already started off on the good foot with Governor Sununu and and with the state house he was up here Jack as you know yesterday uh working on this bail bill and uh you can already see them sort of locking arms it's going to be a huge boon to Manchester and help solve some very important problems there but the most impressive thing that our new mayor Rue is doing is he has put together a coalition of leaders in the community from all the different parts of the community, from the business community, 
uh, from some of our you know immigrant communities, from homelessness, from every sort of angle, right? And he is asking for input. He's asking for help. He's empowering community leaders to to do more and and be heard. And I, I can't say this strongly enough. That works. That really works. It's it's hard to believe that not everybody does this, right? Or didn't do it before. But there is the excitement in Manchester on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, is is you can feel the excitement. So hopefully that optimism will hold and will start to solve some real problems in Manchester. Well, the story out of Manchester might be more important in 2024 in the governor's race because one of the major Democrats running is the outgoing former mayor, Joyce Craig. And she's locked in a pretty, it seems like a pretty real battle with Executive Council with Cindy Warmington on the Democrat side, to name a few. And then you have Kelly Att and Chuck Morris on the Republican side. Does any of this translate out of Manchester into the statewide governor's race or not? Well, our former mayor, Joyce Craig, her slogan is, I want to do to New Hampshire what I did to Manchester. And, and that's what her opponents are saying as well. You know, if you elect her, that's what she's going to do. I have to laugh a little bit at that because, you know, how can that be like the same? Both sides are saying the same thing, right? It's kind of ridiculous. And so she has a lot of critics. Um, I, you know, I she's got to beat Cindy Warmington, you know, who's no wallflower. And she's got she's raised a lot of money. She raised a million dollars, a little bit less than Joyce Craig did in in the first quarter. But she's going to be formidable and they're going to duke it out. And it's been a long time since since in the governor's race the Democrats had a contested primary, right? It has been clearing the field for as long as I can remember, probably 20 years. And and so you'd have this dynamic where anyone on the Republican side who wanted to run could run, and they'd have no money by the time they got to the general. And you know, Jack, is a very short time between, you know, the election and the general, right? And so you've got to raise all this money. And so we're going to have the opposite here. I think Kelly Ayotte's going to win easily, you know that I have endorsed her. I just want to say that up front. And uh, I think she's going to win easily over in, in what, Chuck Morris in the primary. Yeah, she's going to have a ton of money. And Cindy Warmington and Joyce Craig are going to go through a very bruising primary between the two of them, uh, both trying to go as far to the left as they can. And they're going to have no money uh, going into the general. It's going to be the exact opposite of what we've seen you, for the last 20 years. Do you think Donald Trump coming out of the primary 19 days from now, presuming he wins... New Hampshire. Does he play in that governor's race and make a nomination or not? No, he's going to stay out of that. What I, about I, Chris Sununu? Yes, Chris Sununu is going to come in strong for uh, for Kelly Ayotte. Good morning, New Hampshire. Powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. All right, welcome back. Fun always talking during the break with Phil Top. Continue. We'll, we'll end the show on some fun stuff from the Navy SEAL friends down in Florida and Rick Kaiser's new book. Great stuff. Frogmen's stories from the SEAL teams. But, Phil, just one more few minutes on these dynamics because you, you get it. You come at it and you, you, you get involved in the uh, the nooks and crannies, but you, you boil it down well, one of our analysts here. And, Phil, uh, we are talking a little bit on the Republican dynamics in a primary, namely between Kelly Ayotte and Chuck Morris. They're the main major candidates on the Republican side. Cindy Warmuth and Joyce Craig. Neither side are without their party dynamics, right? I mean, you have dynamics at work. But you're you you've been an admitted Kelly Ayotte supporter, um, and you you don't think it will be a close primary. You're saying between Morris and Ayotte, or do you think it will be you know somewhat close? No, it's it's not going to be close. At the end of the day, Chuck Morris, I've said this over and over again. He is a great man, and he was a great Senate president. Um, but 
you know, unfortunately for him, outside of Concord and outside of Salem and and the businesses he touched and helped, and he did help a lot of businesses, nobody knows who he is in the state, to be honest. And Concord is a little bit of a bubble, Jack. You know that. You know, the, yeah. the folks up here, God bless them all. They're, you know, appreciate all the hard work they're doing up here serving in, in state government. But they're in a bubble. And, and this is a big state. And once you get out of the bubble, it's not the same. Well, I remember a former governor once when he was a sitting governor went to a market. I think it was in Hooksett on the way home. And he said, uh, he just was talking to the person and... Um, they were talking about something. He thought he kind of knew who he was, and the person had no idea was the governor of the state. He was working, you know, and he just, you know, it was just kind of interesting. He goes, like, you go south of Concord. Well, let me ask you, that fundraising number that came out a month or so ago that was a big barometer where Kelly Ayotte was at $2.74 million, and then Chuck Morris under a million was rather a statement. And it was true on the Democrat side. I mean, Kelly Ayotte raised more money than anyone almost combined. Yeah, I think just use round numbers if we could. I, I think to the most anybody had ever, you know, been able to raise in a governor's race in the first quarter was something like eight hundred and fifty thousand, Jack. And total two point four million for the whole race, right? So, you know, Cindy and, Warmington and, that was, and that's in state money on the re- Yes. Yeah, so Cindy Warmington raised a, a million dollars, so she must have been feeling good about that because she was over the, the eight fifty and Joyce Craig outraised her at one point one million and Joyce Craig was probably feeling pretty good about okay, I raised more than Sydney Warmington, my opponent, and you know, I probably set a new record. And then Chuck came out, you know, close to a million dollars. I think they were at nine hundred and something, thinking, Oh, great, we got over the eight fifty, we're really doing well. Uh, but then Kelly comes in at two point seven million, which is not just a record for Q one, it's a record overall and two point four of that was in state, Jack. That is a huge statement. She almost outraised the entire field on yeah. both sides yeah. by herself. So that's my point, Jack. It's about name recognition. It's about money, right? And 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 Kelly has the luxury of running down the middle. And that's what, you know, whether we're a purple state or whatever we are, you know, people in the state, they liked what Governor John Lynch did as a Democrat. They like what Governor Sununu is doing as a Republican. Down the middle, mo- moderates. And... You know Kelly's more conservative than she appears, which she which plays really well with the base, and she's got a lot of support from Trump supporters, you know, from the base, from the conservative base. So she's already got all that, and she can win because she can run down the middle. So that that's why I think that race is already over, Jack. And then the last one is the Democrats. It's interesting between Joyce Craig and Cindy Warmington. You even have a split of the powers to be. It seems that Joyce Craig is kind of the uh, John Lynch, Maggie Hassan chosen, and then and Gene Shaheen is the senior Democrat of the of the delegation, former governor as well, former state senator. But Gene Shaheen um, seems to be, you know, hard to read. Seems to be maybe not behind Joyce Craig. Maybe the Shaheen machine is behind Warmington. Is they, so you see dynamics even there, right? Yeah, definitely. Cindy Warmington is a former partner of Billy Shaheen, uh, Senator Shaheen's husband, and. The Shaheens are, you know, the strongest force in Democratic politics for sure in the state. They earned it. You know, she's been a governor, popular governor, and uh, a really great senator for the state for a long time. And my guess is, Jack, she's going to run again. She'll I was going to th- ask you, people don't know this, but her we have no U.S. Senate race this 2024 in the general. The governor's race will be the big one after the primary, two congressional races, and then the state and local stuff. But the next U.S. Senate 
big race is going to be Senator Shaheen's seat. Do you think she runs again? I think there was a lot of speculation, especially amongst Democrats. And that, that I think, is part of what's going on here is that instead of Democrats being able to clear the field for the governor's race, I think you've got some forces, as you were just sort of saying, Jack, behind the scenes. There's some jockeying. You know, if you're a longtime congresswoman or congressman in New Hampshire and you're a Democrat, the only place to go is Senate. It'd be great to run for Shaheen's Senate seat. The only problem is she's sitting in that seat. It's hers. And if she wants it again, and I suspect she's going to run again. She's still young. Wow. She's healthy. She's very well respected in Washington. Frankly, I mean, look, I lean towards the right. She's a great senator for the state, no matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. That'll be her race. I, I'm not even sure if even if Governor Sununu ran against her, who's super popular, could beat her at this point. The Governor Chris Sununu is not running again. The governor runs again for major office, if you had to say today. Hard to tell. I, I think I think he's going to go out and make his way in the business world. He'll have no shortage of opportunities. He earned it. Uh, but I have a feeling, look, when, you, when you've had a life of service, you, you're drawn to it. And I would not be surprised if he comes back at some point. For what? We'll have to see. But we will welcome him back. He, he's been a great governor, and we'd love to have him back in any capacity. Before we uh, let you go, Veterans Update, of course, you're on the swim of the mission side of things. Ended a big, big year. Another one coming up. Any previews? And, of course, your buddy's book, Rick Kaiser's here. I'm holding here. Thanks for bringing it in, J-Dog, too. Life and Leadership Lessons from the SEAL Teams, Frogman Stories, Rick Kaiser. Wow, what a great book. To have a legend, a legend in the SEAL Teams write a book. Rick's been coming up here since 2017, you know, with a lot of other frogmen and their spouses and their children to support some of the mission. They're coming back July 12th through the 14th, Jack. We're going to be, uh, we, we actually, registration is open. If folks are listening and you're a swimmer or you want to volunteer, please go to our website, swam, S-W-A-M dot org. You can sign up to swim already in July. I know, I know it's cold out there, but swim indoors for now. And you can sign up to volunteer. We're going to do paintball again, Jack, which is a million-dollar fundraiser, playing paintball with the Navy SEALs. And, of course, our Gold Star family, a Navy SEAL Gold Star family tribute dinner, which is a very emotional, incredible evening. Jack, you came to some of that last year. You got to see some of that. It's really cool. But having Rick Kaiser and, and just these legends from SEAL Team 6 come up is is a high honor for us to be able to host them in New Hampshire. Jack, tell me if I have any time. I'll tell you some of the stories that are in that book. Yeah, we got a few minutes. Go ahead. There's one great story. I was sitting with some frogman. I was sitting with a with a Vietnam-era frogman who, who after Vietnam, uh, led some of the important SEAL teams, including SEAL Team 2, which was one of the precursors to SEAL Team 6. And I was telling him about Rick's book, and I told him quickly about a story in Rick's book where Rick is out on a patrol. It's a It's the Cold War... And they're chasing the Russians, and they're like in Norway or something, right, playing cat and mouse with the Russians. And it's, it's apparently very boring, and they're hiking all over the place, and they cross a river in, wearing their winter gear, and one of the guys drops a rifle in the river, and it's gone. And so they realize if they come back to the SEAL teams without a rifle, they're never going to hear the end of this, right? It's not the Russians they're <laughs> afraid of. It's their own teammates. And so they have this great idea. They're going to drop another rifle in the water, see where it goes, because maybe it'll land in the same place, right? <laughs> so, But they're smart, right? They tie a rope to the rifle. But within 100 yards, it gets jammed between two logs in the middle of the river. So they're like, now now someone's got to go get that, because now only have they lost one rifle. They've lost two rifles, uh -oh, Jack. Uh -oh. So Rick Kaiser volunteers to be the first guy to go in. He said, you've got about 60 seconds in the river before you're overtaken with hypothermia. Oh, yeah. 
He said in his defense, he did make it to the rifle. He touched it, but he couldn't grab it, and he had to get out. So now he's got hypothermia, so they put him in a little tent. They take off all the clothes, they wrap him yeah. in dry blankets. He's got hypothermia. Second seal goes. Now he's in a tent, hypothermia. Third seal, now he's got hypothermia. So after some point, the commanding officer is like, look, we're just losing seals here, and we're not going to get this rifle. So they they give in, and they go. They they hike for three more days playing this cat-and-mouse game, and then they finally make it back to the base. And all they're thinking about is what you know the beating they're going to take when they get there. And I'm telling this to this uh, Ryan McCombie, uh, captain, longtime SEAL, and he goes, wait, that was Rick Kaiser was on that? Apparently he was the new commanding officer, <laughs> and he punished them for like a year over losing two rifles while they were out there. And so he didn't realize that that was Rick uh, there. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's still apparently it's still a legendary story in the SEALs. Yeah, that's the, time the kind they, of they stuff lost that, two rifles in the river. That's the kind of stuff that survives the test of time. All right, quick break. <laughs> Great stuff. Phil Tom, the book, of course. Support uh, Rick and his mission, Frogman Stories. Rick Kaiser, K-A-I-S-E-R. We'll get him on soon on the book with Phil. Phil, if I can. Phil, Tom, getting back to the political hat. You and I are talking during the break. You know, it's interesting. And by the way, in that attack with the, uh, the 100 people dead in Tehran or Iran, do you hear, ISIS is claiming responsibility. Yeah, I Talk saw that. about problems within their own Oof. camp. Wow. Yeah, that's inside, inside the family, if you will. The, one of the things that I'm, I, I think that's unusual this time, Phil, and it's hard for people like myself who've seen a lot of the, these races to gauge is in the Republican primary here, 19 days to go in the presidential, first the nation presidential primary, is it's Trump, Donald Trump. Every day, for good or bad or positive or negative, he's in the news. I mean, I watch CNN. I don't think they fiscally could survive without Trump in the news, but it's Trump, Trump, Trump. Every single day, regardless of the story, Trump's in the news. The other candidates are trying to get into the news. So you almost have Donald Trump is so well known as a former president, but as Donald Trump. And it's almost like a movement. It's Trump. It's a big thing. It's a big thing to run against, if you will, if you're a Haley, a DeSantis, or Christy Ramaswamy. It's Trump. So I want you to comment on that, because it's almost like you're not running against a candidate. You're running against Trump. And then the second question is, I want to come back to the Democrats and a question about Joe Biden. So what's your reaction to that if you were a Nikki Haley or a DeSantis or Christie, because you and I were talking during the break. One of the biggest surprises cycle is the governor of Florida, when he came out of that reelection in Florida, pretty big state population wise, was the biggest player, the number one draft choice, the biggest name in the Republican Party, ahead of Trump, if you will. Ron DeSantis not resonating better here. So well, you comment on both things. Yeah, no no happy to. I, I think DeSantis is an easier one. They just ran a bad campaign up here. They they waited way too long to come to New Hampshire. I mean, if if his plan was to run for president four years ago, he should have started coming here four years ago. And he just hasn't spent enough time in the state at the end of the day. He's got a great resume. But going back to your first question, Jack, isn't it interesting going through this whole primary, there's been a lot of opportunities for very smart, charismatic people to make the case why Trump should not be the next Republican nominee. Right. I mean, Chris Christie has made his case and Nikki Haley's making her case. DeSantis has made his case. They've all taken different approaches. But and at there, the end, there are 10 other beyond that. Right. Yeah. Tim Scott. I mean, and in 2016, there were 18 of them. Exactly. And, and they've they they have made their case. And at the end of the day, there's still more voters that, that believe in Trump. Now, we haven't we haven't had nobody's cast a vote yet. So 
you know, we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves, but it does look like Trump has it. I think the thing we really got to focus on, if we're just going to be thoughtful for just a minute here, is why is it that with all the chaos around Trump, right, all the noise, all the drama, why does he have such a big following? And I think a lot of that has to has to do with the the feeling about people everywhere in this country, you know, in every town, in every state, that just feel like Washington's not in it for them. And right? do you think that's what the what's holding Joe Biden down and back? Yeah, I I, I really despite do. Despite all the legal distractions, Trump head to head still now is ahead of Biden. Despite yeah. all that. Yeah. No, I I think so. And look, it doesn't matter do you think if Biden rich... will be the nominee in the end. I think Biden will be the nominee. Uh, I think there's too many p- people around Biden wow, that a lot like of energy there, huh? No, he and listen, Biden. It's hard to watch for anybody, whether you love him or you hate him. It's hard to watch, you know, every day on TV. But Jack, there's too much power. There's too much power for the people around him. His wife's not giving up the power. His chief of staff's not giving up the power. You're the most powerful person in the world. Unfortunately, they're not giving it up to anybody. And it's sad that power at the end of the day is one of the things that runs Washington, power, money, greed. Yeah, and, and that's my point is you, you can be rich or poor. It doesn't matter where you are. You can pay attention, not pay attention. The poorest people in this country understand, Jack, that the fix is in big tech, big pharma, the big corporations. Yeah. They have a disproportionate amount of access to power to the legislature. You want, you want to sometime who's running the show, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and they, and they don't care so much if it's Republicans or Democrats. They find a way to get it done. I can never get over when I go to Washington, Jack. You know, it's a beautiful place. There's all these memorials, the mall. Look at how many billion dollar plus buildings there are oh, I know. that are one policy issue think tanks. I know. Thousands of people. One thing. $34 trillion debt. We can't cut anything there. Power. Yeah. Incumbency reelection. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, make it a great Thursday. We'll catch you real soon. Uh, Phil Taub, of course, Swim of the Missions, swam.org.